0: Hello, and welcome to the King of Kings podcast, Episode 4, The Partition of Babylon, Part 2. Last time, the general Perdiccas, fresh off of his victory against Meliagor and the power struggle that played out in the week after Alexander's death, had declared himself regent of the Macedonian Empire. Perdiccas then convened a council in Babylon to divide up the responsibilities of administering the realm. From there, we began our tour of the western half of the empire. We started in Egypt before working our way up the Levantine coast into Syria and Anatolia, and from there we hopped across the Hellespont into Macedonia and Greece. We then traveled through the Euphrates Tigris River valley before we ended up our tour of the western half of the empire by covering the satrapies of Mesopotamia and ending in the city of Babylon, which at this point was still serving as the capital of the Macedonian realm. With the Zagros Mountains and the Iranian plateau now standing before us, let's begin our journey to the Indus River as we cover the eastern satrapies of the empire that were divided out at Perdiccas' council. To the east of Babylon, the provinces were traditionally referred to as the Upper Satrapies, as beyond the Tigris River lay the Zagros Mountains, which forms a natural barrier between the Iranian plateau and the lowlands of Mesopotamia, and which more or less forms the modern border between Iran and Iraq today. On the other side of these imposing mountains lay the heartland of the Iranian people, the birthplace of the Achaemenid Empire, and the home of the ancient Zoroastrian religion. In fact, the word Persia itself actually comes from this part of the empire, a geographic region in the south-central part of modern-day Iran known as Persis, which housed two of the four capital cities of the Achaemenid Empire, Persopolis and Pasargade. Of course, to the Greeks, the entire Achaemenid Empire was considered Persia, while the inhabitants of said empire are referred to as Persians. But not all Persians were, well, Persian. Think of it this way. If we refer to the Macedonians as Greeks, but we know that not all Greeks are Macedonians, well, the same principle applies here too. The political designation of a Persian, which I've discussed so far in this podcast as a native inhabitant of the Persian empire, is not the same thing as an ethnic Persian, which can more or less be defined as somebody hailing from Persis. So just remember, all Persians were Persian, But not all Persians were Persian. I know, I know. It's all Greek to us. And I'm sure it was all Greek, or or should I say Persian, to the Greeks too. And moving on from the cheesy pun I just made, the cultural or ethnic distinctions between each of these Iranian groups made little difference to the Greeks. The upper satrapies of the Iranian plateau were kept intact from the days of the Achaemenids, and there were seven in total, including one double satrapy. So let's cover these, moving clockwise, from Babylon itself. First up was the satrapy of Susiana. Unique among the upper satrapies in that it ran along the western slopes of the Zagros Mountains, Susiana lay nestled in the foothills of these mountains that connected the Euphrates-Tigris River system via the Pasatigris River. Its capital at Susa was the home of a mass wedding between several Macedonian generals and Persian noblewomen that Alexander had orchestrated a year before he died, as part of his plans to merge the Persian and Greek civilizations into one cohesive empire. Alexander himself would actually take two more wives at the Susa weddings. Perisatis, the youngest daughter of the late king, and Satiera, the daughter of the last Achaemenid king, Darius III. Despite its important place in history though, Susiana is not mentioned in any of our accounts of the partition of Babylon, but we do know that it was a real satrapy and that within two years of the events in Babylon, it would be held by the Macedonian general Antigonese. For those of you who were worried about getting Antigonese's name mixed up with Antigonus the one-eyed, well, I've got some bad news for you. Antigonese, just like Antigonus, also lost an eye during the siege of Perinthos in 340 bc apparently the Perinthians had a penchant for leaving besiegers half blinded moving north from susiana though we find lesser media home of the medes an iranian people who had established the first true empire in the region before cyrus the great brought them to heel over 200 years before alexander's death This satrapy was in the hands of a Median nobleman named Atropates since before Alexander's conquest. While almost nothing is known about his early life, we know that Atropates had fought alongside Darius at the Battle of Gaugamela, only surrendering to the Macedonians shortly after the latter's death. He would go on to gain Alexander's trust after capturing and delivering a local rebel, and as a sign of his gratitude, Alexander later orchestrated a marriage between Atropates' daughter and Perticus at the Susa weddings. This made Perticus Atropati's son-in-law at the time of the partition of Babylon, and thus Perticus naturally saw fit to keep his father-in-law in the same position he had held for decades. If we move east of lesser media, we get, you guessed it, greater media. Originally the two satrapies had formed a single province, but its sheer size had made it so hard to administer that it was ultimately divided in half. And yet, even with this division, Greater Media would be among the largest provinces to occupy the Iranian plateau, with Diodorus describing it as the greatest of all the satrapies. Spanning across northern and central Iran, Greater Media was also home to several of the royal roads built by the Achaemenid kings, linking the eastern and western ends of the empire together. This made the satrapy strategically invaluable, if not difficult to govern due to a number of mountains and deserts that covered the province. Here again, we see Perticus appointing one of his key men to a position of power, as the honor of holding Greater Media would fall to Python, one of the bodyguards of Alexander who, as we discussed in the previous two episodes, had aligned himself with Perticus against Maliagar. Northeast of Greater Media, is Parthia and Hyrcania. A double satrapy, this province formed the southeastern coastline of the Caspian Sea and extended deep into the interior of the eastern Iranian plateau. To the north, the Kopit Dag Mountains and the vast Karakom Desert of modern-day Turkmenistan forms a natural barrier with the steppe lands of Central Asia, while to the southwest, the Great Salt Desert in the middle of the Iranian plateau separates this province the satrapy of Persis. Relatively isolated from its neighbors, Parthia and Hyrcania was left to the Persian satrap Frataphernes, who, much like Atropathes in Lesser Media, had fought Alexander alongside Darius before eventually bending the knee to the Macedonians once the Persian cause was lost. Because Parthia was so distant from the administrative center of the empire in Babylon, and couldn't possibly, you know, one day serve as the initial launch pad for an eventual Iranian expulsion of Greek occupiers. That's called foreshadowing, by the way. Perdiccas' council decided to leave the current satrap in place. If we move southwest from Parthia, we find Persis, which, as I touched on earlier, was quite possibly the most important satrapy in all of Iran, at least politically speaking, due to its ties to the Achaemenid dynasty. This symbolically crucial region had been granted to a Macedonian soldier named Pucestus, after he and Perdiccas had saved Alexander's life during the Indian campaigns. Unlike many other officers in Alexander's army, Pucestus strongly supported Alexander's program of bringing the Persians into his empire after their subjugation, and by 323 BC he had fully taken up Persian customs and attire. So who better to lead the satrap of Persis, the homeland of the Persian people, than one of the biggest Persophiles in the entire Macedonian army. Moving south of Parthia and east from Persis, Carmania is the last of the upper satrapies of the Iranian plateau, and traditionally served as one of the borders between the Iranian heartland and the lands of the Far East. Given to the Greek general Tlepolemus who had governed it since the winter of 325 BC, when Alexander had marched through the region on his way back west from India, Kirmania would form a key province in the eastern half of the empire, helping to form a southern link between the lands of India and the western regions of Mesopotamia and Babylon, much like greater media to the north. More than just a highway between east and west though, Kirmania would also prove to be personally important to Alexander himself while camped in the satrapy on his fateful journey home the king worked to consolidate his empire erecting a pillar along the coastline of the gulf of oman and establishing one of his many namesake cities nearby which he aptly named alexandria carmania we now move to the most distant satrapies from the center of administrative power in babylon for many greeks this was the edge of the known world itself and as a result The far eastern satrapies would be much more difficult to administer from Babylon, let alone Macedonia. Several mountain ranges and deserts separated this area from the rest of the empire, meaning any man who was appointed to govern one of these seven satrapies was likely to rule as a de facto king, though for some, this would be little more than a consolation prize for the price of having to be stationed so far from home. First up in the Far Eastern provinces is Bactria and Sogdiana, home of Alexander's wife Roxanne. This double satrapy would form the northeastern corner of the empire, just as it had before Alexander. In modern terms, Bactria is made up of the northern portions of present day Afghanistan and Pakistan, as well as portions of southern Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. This meant that the satrapy lay in the heart of Central Asia and was bounded on three sides by the formidable mountains of the Hindu Kush to the south, the Pamir Mountains to the east, and the southern ranges of the Tian Shan Mountains to the north. It's the flatland between these three mountain ranges that forms the Bactrian plain, a massive fertile valley fed by the Oxus River, which flows west from the Pamirs before turning north and ultimately emptying into the Aral Sea. Sogdiana lay just to the north of Bactria, and was governed by the satrap of its southern neighbor. This region formed the most northeasterly border between the empire and the vast steplands of Central Asia. Looking at a map of modern political borders, Sogdiana would overlap with most of western Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and central and eastern Uzbekistan. And to the west of Sogdiana lay the fertile watershed of the Oxus River. Today, we view much of this region outside of the immediate river valley, where cotton growing drains much of the river before it even reaches the Aral Sea, as a largely flat and arid landscape undergoing significant desertification. But in 323 BC, it was a different story. The plains of the Oxus watershed formed the rich agricultural heartland known in the ancient world as Chorazmia, which actually was once part of the Achaemenid Empire, but by the time of Alexander's conquests, it had become an independent kingdom. Sogdiana itself was bound by two major rivers that fed what's known as the Fergana Valley. The first of these rivers is a major tributary of the Oxus, which was named the Polytometis River by the Macedonians. The second river loops around the Aral Sea and then flows into its northern coastline. This river, the Jaxartes, would form the northern border of the Macedonian Empire. When Alexander reached the southern bank of the Jaxartes in 329 BC, he established one of his namesake cities on the site of an ancient Persian settlement that Cyrus the Great had founded over 200 years before. Like Cyrus, Alexander meant to mark the northern boundary of his empire, and he subsequently named the city Alexandria Escate, which literally translates to Alexandria the furthest. Even without taking into account the geographic isolation of Bactria and Sogdiana, as some of the most distant satrapies of the empire, the region was politically isolated as well. Under the Persians, Bactria and Sogdiana were given a special status among all of the far eastern satrapies, being ruled directly by a member of the Achaemenid royal family. And sometimes even by the crown prince himself. This was naturally done in order to keep these far-flung provinces more closely tied to the administrative apparatus of the empire, and Alexander sought to replicate this strategy by marrying Roxanne. Having a Bactrian wife would help to tie in the most distant parts of his empire closer to the center of power, and would also help to dissuade against further resistance by the Bactrians and Sogdians, as they had initially carried out against the Macedonians after the death of Darius. In keeping with the theme of reconfirming most of the far eastern satraps to their existing posts, Perdiccas reappointed a Greek soldier named Philip, who had governed the provinces under Alexander. Philip would not last long in this post, however, in part because of what would happen to the Greek and Macedonian garrisons stationed in Bactria shortly after they got news that Alexander was dead, a story which I will be saving for the next episode. South of Bactria and Sogdiana lay another double satrapy, Aria and Durangiana, which corresponds roughly with modern-day Afghanistan. The Achaemenids had a strong presence in the region before Alexander, and used Zarin, the capital of the double satrapy, as an administrative center for the eastern half of their empire. This practice continued under the Macedonians, though a revolt by the Persian satrap Arsames in 328 BC forced Alexander to redirect a part of his army away from his campaigns in Bactria and Sogdiana to put down the uprising. The king left this task to Strassanor, a Greek officer in his army hailing from the island of Cyprus. According to Arian, Strassanor succeeded in putting down the uprising capturing Arsames and bringing him in chains before Alexander. As a reward, Alexander named the native from Cyprus as satrap of Aria and Durangiana. Strasenor, who would go on to govern his newly allotted lands throughout Alexander's campaigns in India, ended up meeting up with his king for one final time in Carmania with a supply of camels and other pack animals as Alexander marched his army back home. Strasenor would not follow, however returning to his new home in the Sistan Basin to resume his duties as satrap, which he would continue to hold after Alexander's death. The last of the double satrapies, Arcosia and Gedrosia, made up much of the mountainous lands between Afghanistan and Pakistan. Stretching from the Pakistani coastline with the Arabian Sea, near modern-day mar in the south, to the mountains of southern and eastern Afghanistan in the north, the administrative center of this double satrapy would be located near the city of Kandahar, a corruption of the word Iskandar, which itself is a corruption of the word Alexander. Gedrosia's is home to the coastal desert Alexander marched his army through on their way back to the west, while Aracosia serves as the last stop on the way to India. Again, Perticus found it prudent to simply keep Alexander's old appointments in place choosing to retain the Greek officer Sibyrtius as the satrap, in large part because he had already held the role for the past two years. With the far eastern provinces settled, we now reach India, where our last four satrapies lay. This is the furthest of Alexander's conquests. In life, he had dreamed of storming across the Ganges plains of northern India to the great outer sea that lay beyond, but his army mutinied at the Hyphasis River, known as the Beas River in modern times, forcing him to turn back west. Only, Alexander didn't exactly go back west. Instead, the king spent ten months marching south along the Indus River and its tributaries, conquering the most extreme eastern satrapies of the Achaemenid Empire, as well as several independent Indian kingdoms, before finally reaching the sea. Here, Alexander founded yet another city, which he named Alexandria and Oriyatai. While he had failed to conquer the whole of the Indian subcontinent, Alexander had brought much of modern Pakistan and all of Punjab and northern India under his control. These would be the lands that form the last four of our Indian satrapies of the empire. The first of these is Parapamistai, which I'm sure I just butchered. But rather than try to embarrass myself even more, I will be referring to it by its literal translation, which means beyond the Hindu Kush. Judging by that name, we can expect this satrapy to form the northernmost of all of the Indian lands that Alexander had conquered, and was held by none other than Alexander's father-in-law, Axiartes. You can be sure that Prodicus didn't dare think about removing him from his office, Considering that Oxiartes' grandson was set to become the very king Perdiccas himself had successfully championed against Meleager. South of the satrapy beyond the Hindu Kush, we arrive in two satrapies that were held by native Indian kings, Taxiles and Porus, both of whom swore fealty to Alexander. The petty kings had been rivals prior to the Macedonians arriving on the scene in 326 BC, and Taxiles chose to ally with Alexander rather than resist him. In an attempt to obtain an advantage over his foe Porus. At the Battle of the Hydaspes, Alexander and Taxiles emerged victorious, and Alexander chose to accept the submission of Porus, reconciling him with Taxiles and granting both of them new lands up to the Hyphasis River, which now marked the eastern border of the Macedonian Empire. Under the partition of Babylon, Taxiles and Porus would both continue to govern their new lands now respectively named as satrapies of Punjab and Indus. Moving south towards the Indian Ocean, another python, whom we will call Python Son of Aganor, was given command of, in the words of Justin, the colonies settled in India. Now, by this, Justin means the land south of the convergence of the Indus and Akesanese rivers, where Alexander had established a city he had named Alexandria on the Indus. Python, son of Agenor, was the obvious choice to command this region, as he had played a critical role in the campaign against the local Malayas people as Alexander had marched his army south towards the Arabian Sea. And believe it or not, that's it. That concludes our tour of the world's largest empire as it stood in June of 323 BC. Of course, there was still a world beyond the Macedonian Empire. Across the Indus River, for example, the Nanda empire presented a huge barrier to any further expansion into India. Although the mutiny of Alexander's troops at the Hyphasis river meant that there was little chance that the Greeks would be expanding into India anytime soon. And at any rate, within a year of Alexander's death, Chandragupta would overthrow the Nanda kings and establish the Mauryan empire, an even more powerful Indian state which would soon pose a massive threat to Alexander's successors in the Far East. Looking north beyond Parthia and the Jaxartes river, we find the Saka and Dahe, two Iranian people who lived in the central Eurasian steppe as they had done for hundreds of years, with the Sokka in the east and the Dahe along the shores of the Caspian Sea. To the Greeks, however, pretty much anyone living north of the Macedonian empire was referred to as Scythians, which is only half true. While the Saka and Dahe are are distantly related to the famous nomads of the Pontic Steppe that had plagued the Macedonians through the reign of Alexander's father Philip, all of these people, including the Scythians themselves, are of Iranian origin. It's just that, unlike their more settled Persian cousins to the south, these people retained a more semi-nomadic lifestyle. But if Alexander didn't bother to conquer these lands, why should we care about who lived north of the Jaxartes? a river that basically formed the barrier between the civilized and uncivilized worlds. I'm sure the Greeks thought the same thing, especially about the Parni, one of the three tribes that made up the Dahe confederacy. As Perticus's council in Babylon divvied up the empire in the summer of 323 BC, this small and insignificant tribe was on no one's mind. For now, though, I'll leave you guessing as to the importance of the party in our story, and leave them to their horses and return to Babylon, where Perticus has just wrapped up his division of the empire with some good news. With all of the satrapies handed out, the regency, his regency could finally begin, but those looking for a happy ending after the events in Babylon that summer would be woefully disappointed. Christened in the blood of Miliagar and his supporters, Perdiccas's regency would go down as one of the most brutal political power struggles in history. Next time, we'll cover the chaotic regency of Perdiccas, as Alexander's senior general tries and fails to hold the Macedonian empire together.